Boom. Alright. I'm recording on my end. We're going. We live. Alright. And making money. Hi. We're live and making money. Well, we're live at least. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Agitator. I'm J. David Osborne. That's Kelby Losack. Kelby, what's up, dude? How's it going? Oh, it's going. Just got my, my hands on my nuts walking with a limp. That's cool. That's always cool. Yeah. I, um,. I was recording this in my backyard as I was talking to you, but the mosquitoes have gotten just incredible here because of all the uh, all the rain. So I'm back inside, hiding from the bugs. Yeah, yeah, it's I don't like mosquito season. We get those. We got uh, signs, um, like especially down by the beach and shit. There's these uh, signs that show. A giant ass mosquito carrying this dude away. It's like on a, mm -hmm. a yellow caution sign. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how's your week been? Man, this week fucking flew by. Uh, a little too fast, but you know, had a bunch of exciting shit saved up for the weekend, so nice. it's all good. To not, you know, it, it's just all a blur of being exhausted and trying to get mm -hmm. some work done. How was yours? Yeah. It was pretty good, man. It was pretty good. I am um, taking a break from Twitter, as I usually do after about being after being on it for about a month. I can't really do it anymore, so I have to like take a break. So I just have some some hot memes plugged into Hootsuite just to like kind of auto post every day. Um, but yeah, yeah, man, every time the, uh, the COVID narrative ramps up, I just get really depressed and, uh, I have to kind of distance myself from it because everything that surrounds it from the kind of secondhand paranoia that it seems to induce to, uh, I don't know, just like a loss of faith in humanity, you know, watching the narrative this week turn to how like the unvaccinated should be put in camps and shit uh has been really disturbing uh -oh. <laughs> and, it's the closest uh, i've ever come to being a jew i know right but yeah i don't know it's not even really at this point it's not even worth talking about it's just like oh looks like somebody's up we got lucky during itchy the killer Maybe oh no such luck this time oh this dead or alive featuring our first guest Hey, why don't you try drinking some bottle? It's your nap time, dude. It's your nap time. Daddy's trying to talk about Japanese cinema with his friend Kelby for a for a podcast that makes them a million dollars every month. Come on, bro. This is what feeds you. This is what feeds you. So anyway, now he's looking at me all crazy. But yeah, man. I mean, I didn't necessarily really want to like take this show and talk about like COVID bullshit, so I'm not going to, but if if the question is, you know, how my week has been, it's just been, I'm just fucking exhausted, you know. I got, like, a call from my mom, because uh, her and my niece are, are sick, and I'm like, damn, you remember when people used to just be able to get sick, and you'd be like, oh, damn, feel better, instead of, like, all this, like, paranoia around it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's how one of our, one of our mutual friends had, uh hit me up uh it was a while back now it wasn't recently but he was like yep got the vids 
and I was like, damn, dog, hope you don't die. And, you know, mm. he didn't, mm. and it was cool, and nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, my, I just I send this message out any chance I get, but, you know, just I hope people just research online how to kind of, like, build up your immune system and take care of yourself, and fuck it, man, go get, go get a vaccine, you know? I mean, I don't... Fucking care. I really. How do you? How do you feel about the vaccine? Uh, the same as COVID. I was like, you know, if I get it, I get it. And uh, mm-hmm. with the vaccine, it's like if y'all force me to get it, I don't want to live in a fascist, you know, state where mm-hmm. I where there's no body autonomy and I have to do this bullshit. Because if I, it's like, well, if you want to play with your friends, then you need to do what we say then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean i will you know because i want to go play with yeah. my friends but uh yeah i love playing with friends dude i love like firing up the golden eye and just you know sitting on beanbag chairs jerking um, each other off hell yeah dude i i yeah i agree with you man at this point i'm just like look if i gotta do it i gotta do it it's it's whatever i mean i'm not really afraid of either one because you know both sides use like these crazy ass scare tactics Uh um uh and it's you know i don't know man it's like for our age group it's all scare tactics if you're uh if you're 85 years old the the decision becomes much more clear to me because you bet your ass if i was like if i was 85 right now i would have been first in line for that vaccine you know and i would have just been like fuck it i'll roll the dice with this thing because i mean if i catch covid I'm 85 years old, and that doesn't look... That's not a good look, you know? Uh, for our age, it's kind of like... I don't know. It's kind of... To my mind, it's like pretty close to equal risk. So, whatever. Yeah, just, yeah. No, like, like if I get the vaccine and it gets me sick, then I'm just going to be sick for a little while. Just like if I get COVID and it gets me sick, I'm just going to thug that out too. Like, it's just... It's whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go, like, man, I ain't got time to go get a fucking vaccine right now. If y'all force me to do it, <laughs> if y'all are like, you're not getting on this plane unless we stick a needle in you, we'd be like, whatever, where's the needle factory? But Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like Willy Wonka's factory, but, you know, everybody's a grown adult who still acts like a child, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, except you don't lick the walls in that factory. Yeah. <laughs> They'll shoot you in the face. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. But yeah, man, I mean, I just, I think that the big thing has just been the, uh, yeah, I don't know, people who just like say, uh, man, but you see crazy shit all the time. This is what I'm trying to like wrap my head around is that there have always been crazy people who've said wild shit um, and that Twitter just amplifies all that, you know, it's, it's Twitter. It's what we said last time in the episode. You know what I mean? We were, we're talking about, um, LGBTQ issues. Uh-huh. Uh yeah. It's it's just the online version of it, you know. And if you keep those two things separate where you're like, you know, I like all the trans and gay people in my life and I like all the all the friends I have who are, you know, pro vaccine and and believe all the every, the covid narrative down to the down to the official letter. I still like all those people. Those are all still my friends, you know. Mm-hmm. Um 
and and so we just make this like clear distinction between like the evil evil twitter and the, and the real people who get swept up in it or uh you know or don't right i mean it's really just that simple twitter is the true virus yeah yeah no definitely you know and i have like I, i'm not even a not even like an anti-vaxxer i just don't give a fuck i'm so tired of hearing about it you know yeah it's like i'm in the same boat dude i mean it seems to work honestly i mean like it really does seem to work seems like most people who are you know dying from it because i've always followed the science on this shit uh which has gotten me into trouble because science is weird like that you know people think different things and studies show different things so you know and everybody gets mad at me because they're all retarded and uh don't actually look up anything for themselves um but i mean like if we're going off the data if i'm sticking to my principles i mean the vaccine seems to keep people from dying which is the idea but it doesn't stop people from getting sick uh it doesn't stop people from transmitting it see even this dude's tired of me talking about covid all right i'll stop he's like it's it's so wild that like when when your kid and my kid are fucking grown up will tell them about this time you know it reminds me of like hearing uh stories about i don't know like satanic panic because i was like too little to really remember most of that i kind of got like the 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 tail end of it with marilyn manson getting hate and shit like that but i wasn't i wasn't sentient for the actual satanic panic with like the judas priest back oh yeah yeah controversies and shit like I think though that was like the late '80s. I might have been a baby then. Yeah, I forgot so I it started with it. like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and yeah, all those. Because like... remember those those kids shot themselves, right? And like one one killed himself and then one survived and then killed himself later. Uh, but they were told to do it because when you play the record backwards, it tells you to get a gun and shoot yourself. Basically. That's right. That's right. And that's just um, art. Like those kids are just retarded. You know, I listened <laughs> to that record backwards and it told me to kill myself. And I was just like, yeah, you know, maybe one day, but not today. Not today. Yeah. <laughs> not because you told to me to. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do it. Cause you told me to, <laughs> I'm going to do it. Cause I'm really sad. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no. So when I when I think about that, I remember hearing those stories and being like, "Wow, people were fucking stupid. Why did why would they believe that you know, a record you know was telling people to kill themselves or like McCarthyism, or really anything?" And COVID gets a lot more complex because it is a real virus, um, even though the kind of like narrative followers like to lump everybody into the same, you know, conspiracy categories. But like we all think it's fake and the Illuminati's doing it and shit. Uh, I mean, it is real. It's just like... Man, so dead or alive, it's a movie. Uh, <laughs> bro, I just ramble about this shit because it like gets in my head, but I got a mind empty. Mind empty, feeding bottle to my son. Uh, you know, I don't know, bro. It, it, let's. I guess we could... Oh, actually, before we get started... Sorry, by the way, to people who listen to this podcast and just want to hear about Miike stuff. Maybe I'll start putting timestamps on these episodes when we actually start talking about the movie. Maybe so people, people can like it. it. I don't know. You know Maybe, actually, people... you know what? You're right. I'm not going to put timestamps on it. You have to listen to me first before you get to the good stuff. Yeah, bitch. That is... Go listen to somebody <laughs> else's Takashi Miike podcast. 
Oh, that's right. It doesn't exist. And if it does exist, I'll bet you those guys suck. Yeah, um, they're not just making kidding. millions of dollars. Just kidding. If y'all want to collabo, I'm, I'm down. I'll collabo with anybody. Um, is there another Mika podcast? No. But uh, I watched this movie called uh, Crazy Samurai 400 Versus 1 yesterday. Because uh, I got a subscription to Haya on Amazon Prime. Because I couldn't, I could only find the Dead or Alive trilogy to pirate on uh, uh, with Italian subtitles, uh. and uh, I don't speak Italian, so I was like, "Fuck it!" Haya on Amazon Prime is three bucks a month, uh, and it's like all these karate movies and also Miike movies for some reason. Um, oh, <laughs> but uh, I saw this movie on the main page, and I was like, "That's a cool concept." So it's a single take uh, based on this legend in Japanese history of. Uh, Musashi Miyamoto who I think he wrote The Five Rings I'm just going off of uh, memory here but that, that that book about being a samurai anyway there's a legend that he like base the, the movie starts out and the protagonist like murders a child there's this uh, kid who they've installed as a king and he like comes out of the trees and just like chops this kid up and then uh, the entire clan tries to kill him and the rest of the movie becomes a uh, the fuck is in the background <laughs> <That> was, uh, <laughs> sorry i left the tv on in the living room <laughs> i was like did you just start watching the movie that, that i'm talking about like what, what? i'm like looking this shit up <laughs> all right <laughs> i thought you just like turned the movie on you're like oh that sounds good <laughs> <laughs> that's how we do here you know it's like oh you bring what all right let's watch it on the pod <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I mean, it's this it's this hour long uh, single take shot with where this actor, you know, quote unquote, kills uh, the bad the all the four hundred bad guys or whatever. And um, the blood effects are really cheesy. They reminded me of that video game Area Fifty One. Remember that? Oh where yeah. The alien. I used they to play that at the pizza place. That's just that sound over and over again. Mm-hmm. Reload, reload, um, <laughs> reload. But. Uh, so all the blood effects are really corny, but basically, like, just I I liked watching this actor and these stuntmen kind of coordinate with each other because a lot of it's improvised, and the idea that they had between five and ten moves that they were gonna do, and they kind of communicated to each other with like subtle head nods and and foot stances and things like that. I just thought it was really. Uh, really interesting and there's you know all kinds of mistakes that happen during it but they left all the mistakes in like sometimes you see people who are supposed to be dead just like get up off the ground and run off screen uh, <laughs> and like at one point his his prop sword breaks and he kind of tosses it aside and does a move where he takes a sword from another guy um i don't know man it was uh it was just really kind of hypnotizing to watch because it's like it's not like John Wick where the movements are balletic and uh, shot well and lit well. It's just like this kind of nondescript field watching dudes play sword fight, sword fight for an hour. And uh, I just like, I found it completely entrancing, you know, just, just watching that. No plot, nothing. Um, I love so anyway, that kind recommend. of shit too. It reminds me of, uh, that's a great title too. Like I love those Cra- crazy samurai four hundred versus one. Yeah, the Japanese are really great about just uh, mashing words together that make you interested in it. Um, it'll be something like hero cop 
resurrection apocalypse. It's like a hashtag titles, basically. Yep, hashtag. Titles. That's good. That's good. This boy is really. Uh, by the way, he's really supposed to be napping right now. Like this is this is bad news that he's not napping. So what I'm going to do, listeners, um, I'm going to make sure that my son is safe here. I'm going to move all pillows away, and then I'm actually going to step out front for about five minutes and let him kind of cry this one out because if I let him if I keep talking and I'm sitting next to him he's not going to take his nap and that's bad news for everybody today oh yeah yeah I know how that you know, goes you hear that you hear that <laughs> oh he's pissed no. I just I just left the room no no <laughs> you hear people say shit too all the time don't let them cry it out don't let them cry bro if I don't let this boy cry it out I, I, I have ex- the experience now he will not go to sleep I don't like, know when he will that became a thing like maybe it's from there's people who fucking lock their kids in closets that's fucked up and I think maybe yep. those kids who are locked in closets are the ones who are like don't, don't do that shit it's like that, that's, that's not what we're doing like Mm-mm. if no. you never let a kid soothe themselves they're never mm-hmm. gonna learn how to soothe themselves <laughs> and bro I swear to god too like when I let him do this he cries for like literally two to three minutes because he's right on the edge you know he's right on the edge of falling asleep but me being there talking uh like in his presence is literally what's keeping him awake so if i just go away he complains for a second and then boom it's good he's you know he's uh he's asleep so anyway um we're not we're not running a mommy vlog here Oh, does he? What does yeah. he listen to? Corn? He listens to, uh, well, yeah, it, when he's when he's hype, but his bedtime music is like uh, Lil Peep and uh, XXX Tentacion and uh, that's dope. The Weeknd, Billie Eilish. Oh, nice. Nice. Dude, Billie Eilish said some shit about her being synesthetic, and it's so hilarious to me when you watch, like, kid, like younger people, like kids, uh start to discover these things about themselves that makes them think that they're unique you know it's like i just i like associate people with colors i'm like yeah I, i'm pretty sure everybody does that yeah pretty yeah, sure everybody you know, does that i associate um, people based on their color too colors and they're like you know if i smell something it makes me think of like a color well i keep going back to color because i'm not feeling very creative today but i'm like yeah again everybody does that it's called having senses and emotions um <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's like it's not unique to her and it's i don't even think it's unique to like pop stars and their egos it's literally a young person thing where you're discovering the world and you think that you've discovered like you figured this shit out you're like oh my god do you ever taste something and see a color i must be like jesus or something <laughs> this is this is what nobody makes me else nobody else in the world experiences this and she was like telling it to well maybe people don't because I guess she was telling it to Jimmy Fallon and he's like oh I don't don't do do that but he's a fucking yeah he's a lizard person so he doesn't uh, you know he doesn't know what synesthesia is he doesn't I'm checking on my boy to make sure he hasn't scooted under any pillows alright we're good but right now he's, he's sucking on his fingers and that means he's dude he started sucking on his fingers so much that he like gags himself i'm like bro 
you gotta chill with the finger because I was a finger I was a thumb sucker as a kid and that makes it sense. was hard for me to break what does that mean it makes sense <laughs> what's that supposed to mean well you know you just graduate from thumbs to other shit ah right right I was I thought that was where it was gonna go and you know I was I had hopes that you would take it to a more classy area I'm trying to make the agitator podcast classy and you know the kind of thing respectable people would want to listen to. Right, like, right. Oh, you know, like no, like Mike fans, respectable Mike fans. <laughs> respectable Mike fans. So we can talk about this movie where a, a stripper gets drowned in a pool of her own shit. Um, come on, man. Um, <laughs> by the way, we could just jump right in. Actually, um, this movie was more disturbing than I remembered it. Specifically, that scene. That shit actually made me sick. It's um, gross. I forgot that it was uh, that that it even existed. Um, I'm not sure when the last time I watched this movie was. When you think of Dead or Alive, you always think of the opening montage. That's what it's kind of famous for. Uh-huh. Uh, these kind of five stories all interlinked together to to really like set the scene over the course of eight minutes. Um, but the yeah the pool of shit with the yakuza boss giving a monologue about his small penis and how the reason why he let his whole crew uh, gang rape her and give her multiple enemas until she fills up a kiddie pool with shit and then in which he drowns her um remarkably disturbing there's just and the whole time Mike has this soundtrack going of this like almost like romantic sad music playing through the whole thing uh, and the whole thing gave me the willies. I was like, thanks. Uh, how is it that bug people say this? Thanks. I hated it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that shit's legitimately gross. I remember the first time seeing it, I was like, mm-mm. I kind of, like, looked away. And then the next time watching it was sort of the same. Because I've, I've seen this movie a few different times. And, uh... Every time that scene comes up, I'm like, God, no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate it being there. For the record, my boy's asleep. Oh, what? See? Fuck you, Dr. Oz, or whoever the fuck. (laughs) Dr. Spock. (laughs) Oh, yeah, fuck you, Dr. Spock. (laughs) Dr. Spock is a mommy blogger. That's a funny image that I have nothing else for. I wish I was better at riffing. That would make this podcast better. If we were, if I was like Nick Mullen level of, of riffing, uh, I would have had something really. I would have had a character out of Doctor Spock being a mommy blogger. But that guy is a unique talent that I don't think very many other people. I mean, even the other two guys on Come Town don't have that that ability to just like come up with shit like that. Yeah, no, they they like uh, Stav is the endearing, um, thinks everything is funny, you know, friend sitting over there chuckling like a fat ass and uh adam is you know the the butt of the joke so it's like yeah yeah it's really the nick mullen show which they're yeah. you know it's perfect with three of them but it's the nick mullen right. show yeah basically so dead or alive uh 1999 this um followed on the heels of some of Nikkei's other gangster movies like uh, Rainy Dog and Ley Lines and Shinjuku Triad Society picks up on a lot of the same themes of those movies um, specifically the relationship between 
uh, the Japanese and the Chinese that's really big in Dead or Alive um, which I since I'm not Japanese I didn't I didn't realize all the racial politics that go on in Southeast Asia particularly uh, between uh, the Japanese people and Koreans um, I didn't realize how much kind of animosity there was between those two groups oh yeah you know, yeah and when you go there, you you realize like, oh, this is a thing. This is like a big time thing, which makes sense because you know, the Japanese basically were the kind of like the the white people of Asia and like colonized all that shit. And, yeah, uh, yeah, because did, in did a, the Koreans dirty. In a nutshell, it was like culture wars, like from the outside looking in. It's like a lot mm-hmm. of like, this is our way of life. And they're like, nah, bitch, y'all are going to modernize and be like Western. Because Japanese love Western uh, culture, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um. So in this particular movie, uh, we do start out with this uh, opening montage, um, which interestingly enough, the, the script writer for this movie was also the scriptwriter for um, the previously mentioned like ley lines and stuff like that um, which are, are worth looking at and we might get to them some days or someday rather but they're they're more kind of straightforward I think gangster movies I think Dead or Alive is really when uh, when Miike kind of comes into his own as a bizarro filmmaker um, but the screenwriter had written the opening montage as five individual scenes, right, that played out uh, separately. And Miike said, no, 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 fuck that, fuck that. Like, we're cutting it all together at the same time. So it's just this kind of insane orgy of violence. There's uh, the aforementioned stripper who's kind of doing her thing in the club with the Yakuza boss that will eventually uh, kill her. And... Um, there is the a guy eating a bunch of noodles who gets shot in the back with a shotgun, spraying the noodles all over the camera. There is a guy who does like a, a hundred yard line of cocaine. Um, oh, I forgot to mention the movie opens with a shot of a naked woman being thrown out of a window, which I don't recall that ever being explained or uh, or important to the plot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's just setting the tone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just setting the tone. It's like, um, how, do we, uh, how do we let people know what they're in for? Let's just throw a naked bitch off a, off a building. All right. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, there's, so that guy who does the 100-yard line of cocaine ends up getting executed by uh, our, the gang of Chinese immigrants that becomes really important in, in the plot uh, sort of the other pro- the, the other protagonist or antagonist whatever you want to call it um, in movies like this it's always sort of hard to tell uh, which one is which because everybody's bad um, but basically what these scenes are setting up is just that this particular gang that's headed by this dude named Ryu who's a Chinese immigrant um, with this big ass pompadour who wears a trench coat uh, kind of looks like Chow Yun-Fat um, they're moving in on Yakuza drug territory and kind of taking out the competition, basically. Um, and, uh, yeah. So what do you think about that opening scene? Bro, that opening scene, I actually uh, have seen that opening scene 
more than about any other video. I just look it up on YouTube all the time because it's so perfect. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. anybody listening should, if you haven't seen the movie, you should at least go watch that opening scene. You can find it anywhere because everyone's obsessed with it. It's one of the greatest opening scenes to a movie. Um, it just, it, it's, it's great for setting the, like when you talk about setting tone or whatever, it, you usually think of movies like, um, say, I'm trying to think, uh, Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, you know, you, you think of something more calculated that's gonna, like, show you that this is dialogue heavy, it's gonna, like, sort of introduce this, uh, the, like, the flavor of it, that it's, like, um, uh, a, a subtle crime film or whatever, it's, like, gonna explore the mundane side of, uh, the criminal underworld, and it, it feels theatrical and sort of play-esque, like, I think of shit like that that does, like, you know, calculated shit like that, but, like, Dead or Alive just, <laughs> it's like they found a bunch of videos, and that makes sense, that, like, that's cool that he, uh, the screenwriter intended it as different scenes, so he basically did do this, it was like he found a bunch of little video clips, mashed them all together, and was like, alright, let's make a story out of this shit now. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I think that what's, a few things are interesting about this opening scene. First among them is that I really love movies that set the expectations for what's about to come. We talked about this with uh, Itchy the Killer, where mm -hmm. that movie starts off with a rape and the title coming out and come. And Dead or Alive, which came a few years before Itchy, uh, follows that same kind of pattern, where you basically know what you're going to get into. There's in, like intense uh, violence, there's nudity, there's drug use, um, there's like gross shit that's involved in it and it doesn't really stop there though because pretty much after the opening scene um, the cop protagonist goes to meet his informant a guy named Joji Jojima, Jojima. Mm -hmm. and uh, that's the guy who we're supposed to kind of identify as the hero of the movie but he goes to visit his informant and he's kind of like friends with his informant but he goes into this apartment and there's this woman lying on the floor in a heroin induced stupor and um, the informant is telling his assistant to uh, to like jerk off this dog, basically. And uh, I remember when I watched it, I was like, "Oh, I guess he the guy really likes his dog." I didn't put it together, <laughs> but then what he does is he has the woman get on all fours, and Miike lets the camera linger just a little bit too long, in my opinion, with them like setting up the horny dog to essentially make a porno movie with this woman like yeah. they basically like they put the dog on her back and then right there for a second remember what we said last time about how you always feel like you're about to be eye raped by Mike mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you you really think for a brief moment that he might show you a woman getting fucked by a dog right um, <laughs> it's just like this <laughs> it's that kind of just like uh, when you were a kid and you'd put your finger really close to someone's face and being like, I'm not touching you. Why, why are you bothering right now? Like, I'm not, I'm not touching you. It's like getting that close and then pulling back. Um, and Dead or Alive, I think, is actually 
it's consistently visceral and nasty, you know, through the whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's also um, it, it's like that tension that he creates is great because when you're watching a Mike movie, it's not like uh, you, you don't become dull to it. And that's why the tension is always there. And you don't become dull to it because it's not just one of these... Uh, I wouldn't put his films in the same camp as like exploitation movies. Mm-hmm. Because exploitation movies, you you expect all the gross shit. And like, you know it's going to be basically nonstop. And when it happens, it's campy and over the top. And like, just gruesome. and uh, But it's... It's so heavily expected. With Mika, it's like, it's expected, but you don't know when or how. That's or the how thing. hard. Yeah, or how hard. Yeah, it's like, how far? Because he does have these subdued scenes, even in this movie. Like, he has these uh, little moments with, like, the detective and his son, and, like, them just, uh, or what, does he... No, it's uh, the detective has a daughter. A daughter, uh, yeah, but, yeah. But his but his partner has a son. That's right. Um, that's right. I knew there were yeah. like kids involved and shit. And every time like the mm-hmm. family, um, it slows down a bit for like the family interactions, and uh, mm-hmm. you you still don't know <laughs> because especially with his other family movies you don't know where that's going to go either and that keeps the tension like held but at the same time it's like these uh it's 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 that balance that juxtaposition of like um recognizing this dude could make a uh a subtle uh emotion driven um family drama but he chooses to uh have all this wild ass bizarre yakuza mm-hmm. you know gang rape and over the top gore mhm um so a few things come to mind for listeners who haven't seen dead or alive i'll just go through the plot really fast and then there are kind of like three themes as you were talking that struck me about Mike's movies in general and this one in particular so Jojima is a cop. He has a daughter who has a heart condition. She needs 20 million yen for the operation, which is about 200 grand. Uh, he doesn't have it. So <clears throat> he is uh, cr- he's trying to basically bust this group of Chinese criminals who are taking over the, the opium trade in uh, Shinjuku. I forget the name of the exact neighborhood that they're in, but it's the same one that Mike sets all of his... Uh, his gangster, his early gangster movies, and uh, the scenery always looks great. A lot of these tight back alleys that are kind of typical of Southeast Asian mega cities. Um, then, on the other hand, you have Ryu and his crew, five people, uh, who uh, basically they rob an armored car after the opening sequence, and they get a bunch of money. And one of their crew members runs away with the money to. Uh, <laughs> to send his mom back to China but his mom informs him that she can't go back to China because she's planning to go to a hot springs spa with her friends instead uh, which is I love how Miike does like adds in those little flourishes so uh, the gang catches up with this guy obviously they kill him um, and after that Ryu's uh, 
Ryu's gang starts to basically fall apart, right? People start dying. Um, his little brother, whom he sent to the U.S. to to study communism, apparently, in the U.S., which I thought was a really <laughs> kind of funny touch, yeah. uh, comes back and is, of course, you know, horrified with the fact that his brother used blood money to get him his communist education. Um, and so, basically, as the... Uh, as the as the tension heightens, right, Jojima starts to take everything away from uh, from Ryu, right? Like he, his uh, Ryu's little brother gets killed in a shootout. Um, his crew is down to three people, and then they are importing a bunch of drugs on a banana boat. Yet another really funny scene. Where there's just a bunch of dudes on a banana boat throwing up bananas. Um, uh, and he did, like so. Review basically takes revenge on Jojima by blowing up his car and killing his wife and daughter. And then they meet for the final scene where they confront each other, and uh, they shoot each other a whole bunch of times. And it goes into this realm of complete fantasy where, uh, you know, Jojima's car gets blown up into the sky. He rips his own arm off, takes out a bazooka, and then uh, Ryu reaches into his chest and pulls out his own soul and throws his soul at Jojima and Jojima shoots the bazooka or Jojima shoots the bazooka and then the world blows up and that's the end, that's the end of the movie um, so that's kind of just like the loose plot for people who haven't haven't seen this um, but there's so much stuff to talk about is there anything in particular you want before uh, before I get into it well that that wild anime ending makes mm -hmm. it, and it, I don't mean literally anime for the sake of like keeping a uh listeners in in tune with us um it it's live action but it's just that anime-esque like bizarre shit that uh it 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 makes me think of why anime resonates with so many people um, on an emotional level when anime is this thing that like you could easily have on in the background it's just a lot of very colorful fast paced uh, fighting and just surrealism and uh, but why it resonates so much is because one it's engaging because of how fun it is and you understand on a gut level like the core of what is going on like that shit is and it's a it's a fucking uh, heartbreaking scene whenever he does blow up the car. Um, you know, and that's... These movies are emotional. Like, they they maintain, even as fun and over-the-top as they are, they uh, allow you to connect on an emotional level because it's never, like, sticking its tongue out, like, hey, hey, hey I'm gonna, you know... Uh, Eli Roth movies to me a lot feel like n no shade at that dude personally but like movies like that like make me feel a lot um like they're emotionless and they're sort of like hey I'm gonna kill a kid in this movie <laughs> mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it, it doesn't feel like that like it's kind of heartbreaking when it happens and what that like on paper the dude like basically seeks like avenges his family with his own by ripping his own soul out but the mm -hmm. way that looks on screen is like some Dragon Ball Z type shit. Like it's fun as hell. Yeah, for sure. I um, 
yeah, first of all, Eli Roth gets a bad rap. He's made a lot of bad movies. Um, I never saw Green Inferno, but I, I, he always gets a semi-pass in my book because of how good the original Hostel was. Um, that movie was just like, that. Lo- it looked so great, and it was so well put together. And Takashi Miike is in Hostel. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He's I knew there was a reason I was bringing that up that I couldn't. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's the client. He comes out. He says, uh, he says, you will lose all your money in there, uh, which I thought was <laughs> when I when I saw him on the screen, I was like, fuck, this movie rocks. Um, <laughs> I'm easy, but uh, but yeah. So what you were talking about with the soul coming out in the anime style, juxtaposed with um, the actual emotion and quietness of some of the character scenes, is an important technique that Miike uses to kind of uh, spice his movies he doesn't he doesn't make his protagonists wacky characters which I think um, which I think some people try to do like they try to make the characters idiosyncratic and strange and weird uh, Ryu in this movie barely speaks he doesn't really say almost anything and Jojima is also very stoic you know his wife is basically cheating on him and he kind of like doesn't care because he's kind of disconnected from everything but what Miike is able to do is utilize uh, things like uh, meta- the metaphor of, of of certain scenes for example when Ryu's gang is introduced after the montage it takes place in the strip club and they're all dressed as clowns uh, doing this kind of like roulette wheel thing where they throw knives at each other um and it doesn't make any sense, right? Uh-huh. It's like just the, just there to sort of symbolically introduce the characters. And then you have this ending, which is very divisive. Um, Tom Mess, in his uh, agitator book, doesn't like it. Um, he basically says that it kind of like throws off the rest of the movie. I think he's wrong. I think it's awesome. Uh, and I think it's kind of like a bold statement, and it's kind of bold to tonally shift so intensely although it's not as big of a tonal shift as I remembered it being because the movie does have these hints of the surreal but the most important thing to get back to my original point uh, is that he doesn't he doesn't make his characters these wacky people but he populates the world with bit characters that are all very strange right Um, and I think that that's an important distinction so in this movie he doesn't just have an informant, right? He has an informant who makes dog porn. Um, it, they, they don't just import drugs. Like, you don't just see a boat importing drugs. There's, like, a comic little 30-second to a minute scene of guys on this boat, like, throwing up bananas, right? Um, trying to think of, like, some other... Oh, right, the, the, the Yakuza guy. He doesn't just kill the prostitute. He, he really kills... The prostitute, yeah, um, drowning her in th- diarrhea, <laughs> drowning her in diarrhea. Um, which, by the way, again for the for the listener, you see all of it. It's uh, it's not implied. It's uh, you see the turds and shit and all that kind of stuff. Um, so do you see what I'm saying here about how? Like, I've actually tried to do this in my own books, right? Um, I will have like little basically any little scene that you have to do in order to advance a plot what i learned from me is that those are the scenes 
that you have to spice up, right? So the scenes where, you know, um, where you're just kind of like, where you're actually with the character and heavy shit is going on, like when Ryu and the stripper are talking and she mentions that they tried to have a baby together, but the baby didn't make it. That's that scene is not made wacky or played for laughs. You know what I mean, or mm-hmm. anything like that. Like when the when the soap opera turns on, Miki has this, this keen instinct for when to pull back his own weirdness um, and just let the the characters and the drama carry the movie. But he all like he also has because like what what keeps me from watching a movie honestly is that I know when I know where something's going and I know the paces that we're going to have to be put through in order to get there, I get really fucking bored. And yeah. what Miike is so great about doing is taking those scenes and making each one of them unique. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've thought of a very random example of like when you get bored in a, in a movie I, I actually like. Like I like the uh, Jason Bourne movies, but... um with Matt Damon they're pretty fun but uh there's like scenes it hits that it just flows through and they try to like uh what that director does uh, I think Paul Greengrass like he tries to just get those scenes over with like instead Mm -hmm. of spicing them up he's just like let's just speed through this real quick like have five seconds he's gonna meet with this guy and all of a sudden we're gonna be in a different city um whereas like it's much more interesting because you also don't really engage with that shit it's like sometimes mm-hmm. i mean you know we're writers so we know that like when you have something going on you have to get from point a to point b it's like do i just cut here because the shit's mm-hmm. not interesting mm-hmm. in between do i mm-hmm. tr- like mm-hmm. put it in because it has to be there but nobody's gonna care it's not interesting or you look to the gospel of Mike and you keep it and you spice it up uh i can think of right. one of your I think it was tomahawk you uh there's a scene where they're just talking about what they're gonna do for the day like they just have to talk about where what are we doing next and um shane just like jumps out and starts helicoptering his dick like butt-ass naked mm-hmm. and they're like bro bro what <laughs> like for mm-hmm. the love of god <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 exactly yeah and that's just that kind of stuff that that i do is just directly ripped from me okay and it's this idea, another lesson that I learned from the Bizarros was to... It, Carlton Mellick had this great uh, thing that he would say all the time. He would say that it doesn't matter if something's good or bad. It matters whether or not it's entertaining. And once you shift your mind away from, is this technically good? Right? Did they... Uh, is this a well-lit scene? Is this a scene where the acting is great? I don't know, bro. Is it is it entertaining? Is it, you know, or, uh, you know, is this slow? Is this, like, slow and boring are not the same thing either? Uh, so, anyway, yeah, I mean, just, like, just trying to be as entertaining as possible on the way to kind of getting your, your drama in there. And another thing, a note that I made while watching Dead or Alive that I think is actually valuable for, um, for writers to take away is... The fact that Miike, uh, this is probably more, I guess, the screenwriter more than anything, but like every every dramatic soap opera thing that you could imagine happens in this movie. 
right? The, take Jojima, right? Like, his wife is cheating on him. His daughter has a heart problem that he can't afford. Ryu has, uh, you know, a little brother who's killed in a shootout. Uh, Ryu and the stripper had a baby. Baby didn't make it. Uh, they pile on all of these soap, almost like cliches, but the way that the actors, and I guess by extension Miike, who's directing the actors, approaches these scenes is to is to almost make it as though as though there was a whole movie that we didn't see leading up to these scenes. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that he approaches the drama from an extremely sincere standpoint, right? Like, whenever it's time to talk about the, you know, the kind of, like, like the dramatic stuff that happens, the actors show up 100%, and you almost, you kind of do feel for a second like you're in a different movie, because you're like, damn, another movie would have built up Ryu and, uh, I think his brother's name is to- Toji, Toji, that's right, um, another movie would have had just been all about their relationship, right, and the tragedy that was going to happen, like, boys in the hood, it's basically the boys in the hood yeah, plot yeah. line, where the, where the football player, of course, is the one that gets killed, uh, but the whole movie is, like, building up to that, and in Dead or Alive, that plot point is used, and it's treated with the same amount of gravity as the scene in Boys in the Hood, but without any of the background. And I just kind of, I just kind of like that. Right. Like just being like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with the emotional resonance here. And no, we didn't build it, but we also don't have to. When, when you're a sincere as Mike, you don't have to because I don't think I think he you can tell through his movies and those scenes that feel so grab like they feel so heavy um mm-hmm. without any of like that leading up to it like that's one of the problems with uh, American cinema is they're very cynical most of the time it's like nobody cares how do I make them care and that's a uh, sort of when you create this culture through art you create this culture of people who have to be shown why they should care then you create you know a a society of people who are so disconnected from shit that like you should just see a dude's brother get murked and that should make you feel kind of sad for him you shouldn't have to know like that their whole backstory like Mm. you know that that just sucks (laughs) That's but, a really interesting point. I like that. Keep going. Sorry. Um, it, when it's this, uh, it it's it makes me think. Like while you were talking, uh, like I thought about that, and I thought about how the uh, sincerity of his movies also allows. So, like a movie is a work of art, and we also in the in our you know American society we are always uh concerned about what's the point of this Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how does this affect my life how what am i getting out of this basically where's the bang for my buck because it's Mm -hmm. it's like that it's that capitalist mindset of remaining like the you know did i get my money's worth or whatever and Mm -hmm. always viewing Mm -hmm. viewing everything as a product but art is an expression of a 
a filter of emotions and ideas and all the things that you know we keep internalized as an externalization of the soul basically uh, mm -hmm. or of the mind and that's why you like realistic shit doesn't really it doesn't make sense to just try to like maintain a sense of realism it's like how you can look at a lot of Mike movies with this uh the idea of like what um what religion does this feel like what uh how does this resonate to my like like my spirit specifically or how like what kind of mental illness does this feel like like you can feel art is that that arena where you get to throw all of that shit um out and like it, whenever he's showing you know these highly juxtaposed uh you know zoomed in gravitational um subdued family scenes with like heavy emotion with like comical over the top violence and then like super gross like diarrhea torture and like all that shit mm -hmm. it's not it's not about what's the point of this what am i supposed to get from this it's like it's that's always forgetting the artist it's like no the artist is expressing something here through images like right. so how you feel is more important than what is going on what am i supposed to learn or whatever mm -hmm. yeah exactly there's not a transactionary thing you have to either decide to participate in it or or not and i really like what you said towards the beginning about the idea that um that you have to be a little bit emotionally dead to not connect with some of this stuff and maybe it's just desensitized because kind of every movie sort of begins with um somebody who's close to a protagonist being killed so that they that the protagonist can get revenge or whatever um but it is kind of funny that it's like, no, I need an hour and a half to two hours to feel one thing. And Miike's like, why do that when you can feel 12 things in the hour and 45 minutes of this movie? <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. if, if, if you're interested in feeling those things, right? If you're interested in engaging with, with the movie. Yeah, well, I think it's that, like, Disney coldness that's, like, we kill parents in the first, you know, five seconds of every movie to get the plot rolling, and it, you know, desensitized by that, but when I came, like, I showed, a, I was showing Rowan Tarzan, because I was like, oh, I bet you'll like this movie, you're crazy, it's about a crazy kid growing up in the jungle, and, you know, I don't watch Disney movies all the time, I'm a grown-ass man, so, like, when mm -hmm. the beginning... Where that ship is going down, and it's supposed mm -hmm. to just be like, like I don't, I don't suck Disney's dick. Like Disney fucking ruined a lot of uh, our culture, but at the same, like if you just watch the movies for what they are, and you don't get desensitized by watching nothing but Disney movies, like uh, the first, like the beginning of that movie where his parents die, like trying to save him, and plus they like they're brutally murdered by a leopard while they're trying like they just built this house they built a fucking house in the jungle out of broken ship parts like i was like from a craftsman standpoint i was like holy fuck they pulled that shit off and then they're like trying to care for their baby washed up on this you know 
jungle that probably nobody's ever going to come for them. And uh, they're just trying to make the best of it, start a life, and all of a sudden they're brutally murdered in front of their baby by a leopard. I was like, God damn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, the majority response to that is just like, well, yeah, you know, it's a Disney movie, the parents got to die, and now this is about Tarzan. Yeah, it's like, try to remember how you felt when Scar killed Mufasa. That shit was intense, bro. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, as a kid, like, I felt that shit. Shit's intense. And, um, yeah, so I think that um, there is a level you get to as a creator because you, you know, you watch things like The Wire um, or you watch uh, Breaking Bad TV shows, basically, that have hours and hours and hours to kind of, like, develop characters and add little touches and essentially temporally get the viewer connected to um, to the characters, right? Like, you might not care that much about Hank in Breaking Bad, but you've spent five years around Hank, right? So whether or not... I mean, I, I think that they did a good job of characterizing uh, their characters in that show, but it kind of at a certain point doesn't matter because people get connected to, like, the characters in How I Met Your Mother just because of how much time is spent with them, right? But uh, a movie is asking you to just, like, kind of dip in and actually bring, I think, a little bit more of yourself and not, like... And a TV show, or maybe a big novel, big 800-page novel, like, the novel or the TV show is taking on the burden of doing the heavy lifting for emotions, but in the novella or the movie or the short story, uh, you have to kind of bring some of yourself to it, which, you know, I think I talked about this on the show last time, because uh, we were going to do Audition, and I brought up Ryu Murakami and how most mm-hmm. of his books are novellas, and then, you know, I said that in America, we either don't read or we want big 800-page novels to, like, get the bang for our buck, right? But who knows? Maybe it's, like, emotional stuntedness on the part of the American reader, right? Like, um, when I get bad reviews for my books, which are all pretty much technically novellas by a word count standard, um, they'll say, you know, oh, we wanted more, we wanted, like, I felt like this is where the plot was supposed to get going, and then it didn't. Um, And to my mind, I'm like, well... I I basically did what I could to sort of like uh, uh, make you feel the precise emotions that I wanted you to feel in the book uh, and I think that it's successful based on the good reviews of people who do actually come to it and bring something of themselves to it but those people who want the big books this might be kind of a light bulb moment uh, for me, based on what you said, but uh, it's almost like the people who want the big books, like they want to be carried to emotions every step of the way, right? They want to like be have it be no mistake how you're supposed to feel about uh, you know when when a certain when certain characters get killed in the wire, right? Like there's there's no doubt in your mind how you're supposed to feel about that, whether it's good or bad. Right when Stringer Bell gets killed, you're kind of like fuck yeah, right? Like you got yeah. got by all these people, and then uh, you know when uh when, when Bodie Chris gets Brown, murdered. <laughs> oh yeah, I was thinking it was Chris Brown. Um, 
everybody gets marked. You're like you're like really, you're like really sad, right? And there's, and I'm not saying that that's bad. I think that's really good if you have the time. I I love uh, both of those shows, and I love the, I guess like the the art of of the the journey that those things can take you on. But I do think that, yeah, the novella and the movie are asking a different thing of the of the consumer to use a a kind of loaded term yeah yeah and it, there's there's a sense of like it's sort of a an emotional exploration between the differences of masculinity and femininity too because I was thinking when you said you know people resonate with uh, how I met your mother characters people don't girls do mm. <laughs> and they uh I, there's some kind of difference there between like the um I uh sort of love these people because I'm familiar it's like a familiarity and then when something's over because I remember like I had a lot of chick friends who like whenever uh say friends ended or like mm-hmm. uh I guess I don't I don't remember talking about how I met your mother, but like when like seventy show ended or something, they'd be like, "Oh, I was crying on the season finale." I was just like, "Yeah, I forgot that shit was on last night." I don't know, yeah, but uh, right. it it's something like um, like Mickey movies touch on a more primal level that I wonder if is more uh, masculine if he makes movies for men to feel like something to explore their emotions maybe Mm -hmm. it's almost like that meme of the of the woman when she's like babe i'm so horny and then it's the the guy with the yellow beard the blonde beard right Uh but Uh instead of babe i'm so horny it's like the woman and she's like can you believe like how can you not feel anything at the end of this you know tv show and then it's like a guy watching like 300 and it's the scene where they say like come home on your shield and his face is all darkened out because he's just like he's like feeling all this shit watching uh-huh. this basically like hyper masculine cartoon about yeah. loyalty and honor you know exactly like, yeah you just have to touch those buttons in men's souls basically which is why they're so popular basically you know what i mean it's like this whole idea of like gladiator right you know he's you know uh he's avenging his family by fighting his way through the gladiatorial arena uh and the men are just like oh my god this is this is this is emotionally intense right Uh and then women conversely will watch you know days of our lives for 80 years and be taken on many journeys uh and, and guys, for the most part, are completely mystified by this. They're like, they don't mention loyalty or honor once in this entire <laughs> <Yeah>. show. <laughs> There's no, no respect. No respect. The Godfather. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Things like, yeah, respect, honor, pride, loyalty, making, like, you know, being a self-made man, the bond between, the unspoken bond between father and son, things like that, you know, um, yeah, the bonds you develop in the trenches while doing what you got to do to take care of the fam. Yeah, exactly. Guys are just like, oh my god, you know? And that's why in Dead or Alive, it's, you know, it's a guy who, uh, one guy loses his little brother, which I think big brothers can can relate to. And then, you know, 
the family man loses his whole family. And it's kind of like, what else do you really need to accept that these guys are now going to try to kill each other? Um, I mean, that's it. Yeah, and that ending, we didn't, uh, we didn't go this far when you were explaining it earlier. The entire world explodes. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. So, like, not only do they pull rocket launchers out of their asses like cartoon characters and throw, you know, they kamehameha each other, um, the entire world explodes, which is exactly what happens to a man who just lost his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's, like, kind of lost everything. Yeah, it's this, it is this big metaphor for, uh, I think, for two things. Number one, the idea that when our worlds end, the whole world ends. Um, and then sort of number two, the, 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 this kind of hate that can exist between two people uh, is what will eventually destroy the entire world, right? I'm on this big tip lately of, um, of kind of learning how to coexist with my brothers and sisters who do not uh, see the world as I see the world because I'm really exhausted by hate and um, bitterness and anger. I think I started being bitter and angry in March of 2020, and we're going on two years now of just this sustained uh, anger, right? And I've been reading a lot of Charles Eisenstein. He's a really great thinker who talks about moving from a story of separation to a story of interbeing, as he calls it, some real hippie shit, right? And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that you don't fight people when it's necessary to fight and, you know, you don't stand up for what you believe in or anything like that. But I just, I don't, I do think that kind of like holding these grudges until we all destroy each other is uh, is kind of keeping us from destroying the, the real enemy, maybe, uh, which is, of course, you know, the 100 companies responsible for uh, 75% of the emissions on this planet. So, I don't know, the ending to Dead or Alive really kind of resonated with me. It's like, you know, what am I going to get from, like, really, lately I've been on this kick of, like, just hating the libs, right? Because I think I feel really betrayed uh, that I believed in them for so long, and then I believed in the left for so long, and then you just kind of see it for the kind of cynical, money-grubbing, fake operation that it really is and then that makes me feel really lost because I don't I don't have any kind of space in my heart for the right either because I've seen what the right is like when when the tables are turned and they're they're just not any better right I think that uh so anyway so it's led to a bunch of bitterness and like wanting to and just always fighting with people and always thinking about how much I fucking hate people and you know I hate that people say this and I hate that people say that and I'm just like, you know, we gotta not, we gotta not blow the world up, right? I gotta not. The, the the metaphor of Ryu pulling his own soul out, right, and and using that to blow up the world, I think is, um, it's so on the nose, but it's, but it's so perfect. It's one of maybe one of the best endings in in film history, I think. Definitely. Definitely, and yeah, the enemies beyond um, the reason that like the companies are the enemy is the re- any of any enemy is what takes you away from that um, 
ability to viscerally and primally connect with uh, things that, that should, you know, the things that detach you from yourself, from your emotion, um, the things that desensitize and dull you, that's the enemy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or, in the, <coughs> in the case of Dead or Alive, also the Chinese. Yes, so, and the Chinese. So, so, there's, so there's that. Fuck too. the Chinese and <coughs> fuck Disney. And, uh, it's the same thing, bro. Yeah. It's the same fucking thing. Oh, God, it um, kind of is the same thing. <laughs> it is the same thing. Yeah. That's not a joke, bro. That's, that's real. Um, remember Mulan, where they were, they were filming that right next to the Uyghur internment camps? And uh, they had to like move the concentration camps to film Mulan, and then nobody, nobody who was in uh, like the <clears throat> the star of Mulan had to basically be like, well, you know, there's actually they have some good reasons to put those Muslims in camps, and they're like, okay, so let's get back to uh, did Matt Damon say the F slur in his youth? Uh, we gotta <laughs> not pay any attention to that, um, but. But, you know, I mean, again, I'm doing it again, but I really am trying to practice and embody this nature of, like, like who cares, right? Uh, Which, again, seems like it's nihilism, but I heard a term somewhere called, like, doomer optimism, and I like that. Like, everything is kind of doomed, and everything sort of sucks. Um, I was telling this to Rios the other day while we were eating dinner, I was like, the project of life, I think, is uh, just in general, if you believe that we get, that we choose to get incarnated here, which I do, right? I think you uh-huh. get a choice to incarnate. Like, the, the task, the major task is to flourish and, and create beauty and love in spite of how shitty everything is. Uh, but what that very specifically entails is that you're also not allowed to run away from the dark stuff, right? You have to engage with the dark stuff. Um, which is why I think, you know, whether we're talking about Miike movies uh, or, you know, horror fans who are really into torture porn, you know, I don't think it's just as simple as, like, some kind of sadistic pleasure that you take in seeing other people hurt. I think it's actually, like, your duty and your job to expose yourself you know sometimes through the condom of cinema to to awful shit in order to um you know experience it in a safe safer way so that you can go about your project of of just being good in spite of it all yeah yeah definitely and i think uh our a good model for us personally would be the dead homie like Isaac was that kind of dude because um, mm-hmm. I had experienced mm-hmm. I'd had friends before that either ran off into the woods literally like or mm-hmm. um, or killed themselves that sort of uh, had a similar thing that uh, that I felt that Isaac had which was this like optimism this like boots on the ground optimism of uh Mm -hmm. like just being a pure radiant light who wasn't uh wasn't naive to the uh uh you know the dark shit 
that's all around um and just just unfazed by by negativity by by like you know unfazed by evil forces able to call them out because fucking isaac called shit out all the time but he never hated him yeah yeah and again like you know i forget like because we love the guy but uh a lot of people hated that dude um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like he yeah, a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of crime writers do um which is another reason why i don't fuck with them um because you're 100 percent right like isaac was an astrologer and a tarot reader for some for some shady folks for some bad people right mm-hmm. um but if that's not embodying like you know being a light in the dark right going to like the, the grimiest grittiest uh most awful sides of life and then choosing to be a light there i mean that's literally i mean he just pretty much embodied what you're supposed to do in life and he also took no shit that was that's the other side of it right <laughs> is that when he saw something that was wrong he uh he called people out about it you know i mean he was very principled as well we're gonna yeah. end this on a on a emotional note who knew that the talking about dead or alive would end up with like our manifesto about how a how a man's supposed to be in the world but i don't want to i don't want to undercut it with like uh sarcasm or cynicism because it's what i truly believe i do think that's the way men and women are are supposed to be so yeah 100 percent. yeah no i agree all right we'll cut it there